Well, good morning, young disciples. It's so great to see you exiting the pews and coming down here where you can get comfortable. So I want to introduce you to this gentleman right here. His name is Jim Candy. Can you imagine having a name like Candy? Oh, I love Candy. Oh my gosh, I should have brought He that. didn't bring Candy. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Well, so Jim, have you ever had an experience where your parents had an old friend come over for dinner that they hadn't seen for a long time, maybe from another place you, they used to live? You've had that happen? No, we're, we're doing that today. You're doing that today. Okay. Well, Jim, Jim is like an old friend to this congregation. For 10 years, he worked here. And if your parents want to read along, all the information about Jim is here. But it was so wonderful today for me to see all the people that remember Jim coming up and giving him a warm hug and saying it's so good to see him. So I want you to... To, to listen well to Jim, he's going to go for it and give you some interesting stuff. And yeah. I'll stay up here with you. Thank go ahead. you. Hi, guys. I see a couple Bengals jerseys up here. Uh -oh. Not a lot of Rams jerseys, though. Just Bengals jerseys. Okay. Oh, you like the Rams. Uh, well, hey, I want to ask you guys a question today. Um, this is kind of complicated. There's a very complicated word, but I'm wondering if you know what it means. Can anybody tell me what the word famous means. Anybody know what the word, yeah, what do you think the word famous means? You got a lot, a lot of, of money. money, okay. A lot of famous people have a lot of money. Yeah, what do you think? You're well known throughout your community and the world, and you are a dictionary writer. Great job. So yeah, that's very good. That was actually really well said, man. So, I, you know, when I think of famous people, this is kind of sometimes what I think. You know how famous people kind of do this? They kind of like, you know, they're pretty cool. They got their glasses on. In fact, does anybody want to try that for me? I'm just curious if you could. Okay, why don't you do this, buddy? Why don't you put that on? Give me your best famous look. Put those glasses on. Give me some famous. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Good job. You can keep those, it's, by the way. Keep those sunglasses. Wow. Has anybody ever met a famous person? Hmm. Yes. Who have you met? Joe Burrow? No, who have you met? Okay, you went, he went to a famous person's house, but he forgets her name, but she was famous, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, tell me a famous person. Oh, he really does get to keep those, yes, yeah. Yeah, he gets to take them home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, can I tell you the most famous person I've ever met? Your parents are probably going to know this person, but you may not. His name was Louis Zamperini. So Louis Zamperini was a World War II hero who a whole book was written about him. He's very famous. But I, I know a lot about him, but it wasn't like he and I were friends. We just kind of met, right? But we didn't become friends. Uh, and I wish we could have been friends. It'd be really fun to be friends with a famous person. But that, you guys, I think is one of the coolest things about God is, I can't think of anybody more famous than Jesus, mm -hmm. right? But what's so cool is we don't just have to know about Jesus. We can become Jesus' friends. Even though he's the most famous person of all time, we can be his friend. And that is super, super cool. So we're going to talk about that here in a second. And you guys are going to go 
out. And what do you want to say, buddy? Tell me, man. Miles. This pair, this pair is my special fishing pair, okay? But you, you guys can like, talk about, negotiate over that pair that I gave him, okay? Mm-hmm. So, all right, Lord, watch over these guys. I pray for them today that they would not just know about you, but they would know you and they would be your friend. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming up. That means a lot to me that you guys have come. Very brave, very brave. <sighs>
where Grace Commons is, right? All things new. What has God got for the future for this church? And so in Ezekiel 11, uh, there is conversation about God giving a new heart. And we want to talk today about what it means uh, that God would give us a new heart. And, And this is a phrase I want us to think about. A new heart is a heart that knows. A new heart is a heart that knows. Uh, And I want to dive in a little bit uh, on that um, today. So uh, here's the deal, though. Um, Before we dive into a scripture passage, it's it's really important that anytime you look at scripture, you always look at the context, the story behind it. Who wrote it? Why did they write it? What was the context they were writing at it? Because here's something to remember. If you don't do that, things get weird, Okay. Because what, what people do, what we do as human beings is, is we can take things out of context and apply them in ways that aren't accurate to what is actually intended. And lots of damage, as you know, has been done by that over the years. And so anytime we look at a, a scripture passage, we want to make sure we understand the history, what's going on. Here's a deal I'm going to make with you. I'm not going to give you like a run-on blah, blah, blah history lesson. I will make you a deal. I will give you 90-second background on this as long as you promise to listen for 90 seconds. And I can see every one of you. So if if somebody falls asleep, then I'm going to keep going, like longer. So 90 seconds. You ready? Here we go. Start the clock. People of Israel, the Jews, were promised a land by God, starting early in Genesis. They were promised this land where it says Jerusalem, right? Modern-day Israel. And they were promised that land, and, they, and God said to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. We're going to have a relationship. What happened was, is when the Jews moved into that land, they decided that they were going to adopt the practices of all the people around them when it came to their religion. So the first time God didn't show up doing something that they expected from God, they started carving wooden idols, and started praying to them. Or they would pray to the gods that they thought lived on the hills around them that, that they would bring rain. Some of the surrounding uh, people even practiced child sacrifice. Hey, this is serious stuff. And they integrated that all into their belief system. They became what we call a relativist. The truth became relative. There wasn't like a God and a relationship between it. It was kind of like a concept, like there was all kinds of gods, and so they were polytheists, many gods. What you read in the Old Testament is that God ended up not liking this. And so God allows them, I mean, that's probably the nice way to say it. It's a terrifying, it's terrifying stuff. God allows them to be taken out of that area where Jerusalem is, And they are forcibly removed by another country, the Babylonians, along the river down and finally settling at the end of the arrow, the Kabar River. Ezekiel is a book about the exiles who land in Babylon. Ezekiel is a prophet. That just means somebody who talks on behalf of God. Ezekiel is a prophet who's with them in Babylon, and he's talking about the return, that someday God will return them to their land. Okay, hit the clock. Was it close? Did every 72? 92. You're killing me, man. Gosh, give me, the, give me those two seconds. Um, okay. With that, 
I want to, you got the context in your mind. I want to, let me read the passage to you now, and hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense now that we understand the context. So this is uh, Ezekiel chapter 11. I'm just going to read a few verses to you, verses 14 through 21. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man. Hey, that's a, um, a term that gets used a lot in the Old Testament that Jesus eventually would take on for himself. Son of man, the people of Jerusalem have said of your fellow exiles, And of all the other Israelites, so there were some people that were left behind who still were in the promised land. So these people are like, like, you know, don't let the door hit you now that you guys have left. They're back there in the promised land saying they are far away from the Lord. This land was given to us as our possession. See you guys later, okay? We're the remnant. We're going to stay there. Therefore say to the people you're with in exile, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them far away among the nations and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while I've been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Uh, You know, just as a side note, this is such a um, comforting thing, right, that God kind of goes with us. Sometimes when we feel exiled and far away, uh, maybe especially right now in Boulder as so many people have lost their homes, Pray that God would be a sanctuary during this time in our community, a safe place for them. Uh, And he continues, therefore say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you've been scattered. And I will give you back the land of Israel again. This is the first time you get hope in Ezekiel. It's like, you guys are going back someday. You're going to have the promised land. This is decades, right? This wasn't like a week-long exile. This was years that they're gone. And so this is a hopeful thing that he's saying. They will return to it. And, and look at the first thing that he says is important. They will remove all its vile images and detestable idols, those little things that they were worshiping. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is the conversation now about God saying, I'm going to give you a new heart. But I want you to remember this imagery. A heart of stone is replaced by a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Relational. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images and detestable idols, I will bring down in their own heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. God, would you please help us and inspire us to know this, um, to understand it, to make it have sense to us. We, we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, some of you are like, um, hey, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we're like a few hours from kickoff. I could be home smoking brisket. Uh, why are we getting a history lesson and reading an ancient document that's 2,600 years past? Like, how in the world does what we just talked about have to do with anything in our lives today? Uh, here's what I want to just pitch at you. Everything. What we just read, when you think about humans and human nature... I think it's so true that even though this is 2,600 years old, the more things shift, alter, change, the more they kind of stay the same about 
who people are and how we navigate. And I would submit to you what's going on here in Ezekiel 11 is very um, relevant to our life in Boulder, Colorado, or really any city in the U.S., especially larger cities. And I, I want to unpack that for you. Okay? Let, me, let me show you what I think is going on here. And I want to do it by uh, putting a couple statements on the board. Okay, hear me. This passage is kind of the deep, there's no way to treat it fairly without just admitting we're jumping into the deep end here. And so I want to um, express to you how I view this passage, and I hope to God that you hear me say this in um, as humble and respectful way as I possibly can, because I know that for many of us, we would probably see this question differently, or if not you, you certainly have friends, neighbors, family, and so we want to be, um, treat a topic like we're going to tackle today with the utmost respect and care. Um, but let me show you what I think is going on. Let me put uh, this statement on the board here. Imagine making this statement. I believe there is one true God and his name is Jesus. I want you to picture for a second that you wrote an op-ed to the Daily Camera. And this was the title of your op-ed. Um, how does that go for you? Uh, how, if you are involved at CU and people in that academic environment um, found out that that is a statement that you would subscribe to, what does that do for your reputation? Uh, if your neighbors, you know, knew this about you and, and you shared this, um, what, what, was, what would be a word that could be applied to someone who subscribes to the statement? In a lot of ways in our culture, um, that phrase would be considered to be extremely narrow-minded. Is that, is that true? Would you say that's true about the culture we live in? Uh, let me show you another phrase. How about this one? I think all world religions are essentially the same. They just have different names for God. Okay, now imagine that you write an op-ed in the Daily Camera with that. Or if you're, coming, you're moving to town... You're taking an important position here, and that's the statement that you believe about faith. Um, would that be controversial in this culture? I would submit to you that that is not a controversial uh, statement. Like that, that is a very socially acceptable statement. Um, to be clear about something, and this is where I want to be very respectful, I'm an advocate of the first statement on this, on this slide. Um, it, and I want to explain why. And um, I hope that in doing so, it is, um, it's in the right spirit. Uh, because I think this is what's happening in this passage. I know it's 2,600 years ago. It's the same. You can imagine that these people get in this new land. And again, the first time that God doesn't make it rain when they wanted to, they carve something or they build a statue or they start to practice different things, and so they start to bring in all these different kind of uh, belief systems in a way where you could imagine the social pressure on those kind of old stodgy people who think, hey, remember, it, actually it is just one God, and he brought us out of Egypt, and after generations pass, people start to go, that is an old way of thinking. You need to get with the times, and you need to understand that there's far more to this faith than just your old kind of mono way of thinking about God. That's what's happening. So here's the question for you. God lets these people who drift that direction be exiled. 
Is there any piece of you that um, would want to say to God, like, man, that's like, are you uptight, God? Like, that's a severe response. Why would God be so severe with that kind of thinking? Why would that get under God's skin the way it does? Well, let me, let me explain it to you the best way I know, okay? Um, my wife, Karen, was here at the first service, and she was a little caught off guard by this. Um, this is my wife, Karen. So me and Karen, this is at our uh, son's graduation party last year. Uh, we were up uh, just below Fairview High School down near Vealey Lake, and we're having a great time. I put that picture up just so you can see, Karen. We are going to celebrate our 25th anniversary this summer. And we have seen, so like in 25 years, you guys know, those of you married, we've moved 10 times. Um, we have bounced around in different things, highs and lows. We've seen the highs of having two boys that we just adore and love. Uh, we have seen the lows of a gut-wrenching some of you have experienced this miscarriage. Uh, we have been through it together. Uh, I know Karen because of this. Like, I know what, like, her anxieties are. I know her fears. I know how to push her buttons. Holy cow, do I? Uh, I, I know what she loves. Caramel sauce from Trader Joe's. Didn't try that. Uh, like, tomorrow... I do not need to buy red roses. She just wants white tulips, which is great because it's way cheaper, <laughs> especially on Valentine's Day. Karen and I are bound to each other. She knows me. I know her. We know our like fatal flaws. That's a, that's a relationship that's ingrained for years. Now imagine for a second here we are on, on uh, Valentine's Day Eve. Is there such a thing? Valentine's Day Eve that I make a statement. And I want to put up this initial statement back up here too. I think all world religions are essentially the same. They just have our different names for God. Right? Not a, not a socially unacceptable statement. What if I were to say this statement on Valentine's Eve? I think all women are essentially the same. They just have different names. How's that going to play? Yeah, I'm in trouble. Guys, um, to say that, A, might lead to divorce uh, quickly. Uh, B, in my way of thinking, what this would do was it would actually um, seek to deconstruct Karen's personality. I'm taking the personality of, a, of an individual and I'm, and I'm flattening her into being the same as every other human, every other woman. And, I, and so it's no longer about a relationship. I've now become in love with a concept. Uh, I think we can see that clearly between human beings. It's much more difficult to see that when we apply that same kind of thinking toward God and the relationship that we have with God. Here's what I want to say. Jesus, 
He's got a very distinct personality, guys. Jesus um, has a way. We, we're bound to him. Like, there's a reason why the scripture calls us the bride of Christ. We're not just servants. We're, we're in a bound relationship. The reason I get passionate about this is because in my relationship with Jesus, I don't want to flatten him and turn him into a concept. You know, there's a lot of different belief systems in the world. Many of them have the idea, the notion, that at the end of my life, there's a ledger, and all the bad things that I do are going to be piled up with all the good things I do. My ledger's looking like this, y'all. And we're just going to pray at the end that this good ledger outstrips that bad ledger. That's, that's a lot of how the world views religion, faith. Jesus doesn't view it like that, does he? No, no, no. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to tear that whole system apart by coming myself, God, into the world, in the flesh. That was a choice of personality. Being born somewhere, not in a palace, but out in the sticks, that was a choice of personality. I'm going to be a servant, a slave. That was a choice of personality. And I'm going to, be, I'm going to allow the people that I created to take me and nail me to a cross. Where I'm going to die so that I take away that system, that ledger system. And instead, I'm giving you grace because I love you. That is a huge personality choice. To say that that is flattened into every other person, to me, is the same of saying, like, yeah, all women are the same. Guys, God wants a relationship, not a religion. God wants passion, not pieces put together of different gods into a concept. What's happening in this passage when God says, when you go back, I'm going to take your heart of stone, that impersonal heart, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. And a heart of flesh has passion. In my years in ministry, I can say the people that I have seen who are most passionate about God are the ones who have a passion for Jesus Christ. They have a passion for a person. I've known people that have passion for religion or ritual or ethics. But the people I admire most, the people with a heart of flesh, I go, whew. They got a, they got a passion for Jesus Christ. It's personal. Um, I think in some ways we, um, I think back to the example of Karen Part of the reason that drags my heart away from relationship is I actually don't like to sacrifice. Um, and, and so you read stuff that Jesus says, and you're like, holy cow. Uh, think of this one. This is Zinger. Anybody who wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross. The ultimate sign of sacrifice of losing your life. You want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Those are hard words, and that's just like, man, we could go through Jesus' sayings and just go, whew, zinger after zinger. 
It can be easier for us when we're faced with difficulty in relationship to say, I'm going to take the part that I like, I'm going to discard the part that requires sacrifice, and I'm going to augment it with other pieces that I like and create my own reality. Problem is, if I try to do that with my wife, I'm in deep trouble. And I wouldn't do that, I hope. We have a relationship and we're going to work through that. It's the same way with God. The honesty this requires around what is it about following Jesus that is difficult for you? Maybe logically or um, culturally or what has happened to you in a church setting or is there some teaching of the church that is challenging for you? My encouragement is don't just throw that away then and adopt everything else. Deal with it. Work through it in the same way that we would a relationship. But that's not what the people did 2,600 years ago. And I actually don't believe that's what our culture does today either. You guys, I don't know what God has next for Grace Commons. Can I tell you something, though? I just, um, more than anything, what this city needs is people that have that heart of flesh passion. That's what this city needs. This city needs people who have a passion for Jesus and go out and love their neighbors. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All that passion flows out into how I love the people around me. Jesus, um, uh, didn't, didn't back down on this. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. That's a huge statement. In today's world, especially, right? In a world that sees truth as very nebulous, more conceptual, Jesus points to himself whew, and says, I am the truth and I am the life. If you want to understand what real life is supposed to look like, then look no further. Jesus is saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. Those are big words. You have a passion for him? Some of, um, some of you maybe have, um, you're looking at me and you're like, yes, totally agree with this. I've got all my doctrine lined up perfectly. And man, this isn't news to me, Jim. I was in Bible study when you were like not even born, Sonny, you know? Maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at. Did you know that you can have all these answers correct in your mind and be a polytheist? I know I am. I got all kinds of gods that I like to give my allegiance to. They may not be little wooden things in my room. But I might have a list of gods that includes uh, stuff like my career. Or God might be my money or my 401k. Or maybe it's the house that I live in. Or maybe it's kids or sex. My God might be my politics, right? That's a God that's on the rise. Whew. God could be our reputation. It could be our boyfriend, our girlfriend. It could be our fiance. It could be our spouse. My God could be my hobby. My God could be my comfort. My God could be my smugness about getting this right with all those heathens haven't figured it out. 
yeah, that, those, there's a lot of gods to serve. You know, some of you know Tim Keller, pastor, who calls it, those are counterfeit, counterfeit gods. And we've got them. Even when we say we have the right answers, we can follow different gods who gain our allegiance. I want to give you a heart of flesh, and I want your heart to be undivided. Man, is there anything more central to God's heart than that? Why? Not because he's being a jerk or uptight. It's because he loves you. He wants you. When God is referred to as jealous in the Old Testament, that's a good thing. Because jealousy follows relationship and love when it's harmed or abandoned. That's God's heart for us. Guys, a passion for God comes through a person, not through piecing together a concept. Can you live that way in this world that sees that so differently? Um, I want to end by just asking three questions. And um, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want you to pick one. Okay, do not go away trying to do all three of these. Uh, that gets too complicated, at least for me. Pick one of these questions. Maybe this week, this month, you think about it, you have a conversation with somebody, you journal about it, write about it, whatever. Uh, here's the questions. Question one, who do you know that most embodies a passionate relational heart for Jesus? Who is that? And could you spend time with them this month? Like what, it's one thing to talk about knowing God, a heart that knows. It's another thing to actually like live that. All right, that's a whole other sermon series. But start with somebody you know, that you're, they have a passion for Jesus. How did they get that? Spend some time with them. That'd, that'd be one. Question two, what part of God is most unappealing to you and why? <laughs> that might sound like a funny question to some of you. It's actually really important to ask. Again, any relationship, not just religion, any relationship is built on honesty. Start with that honesty with God. Work through that maybe with somebody that you're in community with. Be honest about it before you look to other alternatives to replace the things that you don't like. Question three, what counterfeit God is most determined to win your allegiance today? We never want to be naive. All right, I, I, I know mine. What counterfeit God is after your life? Lord, I thank you so much for this church and these people. I see so many faces out here that have meant so much to me. I pray for um, them today and this church for uh, what you want to give every person, which is a new heart. I pray that you'd give that to me, a heart that beats for you, that is not a heart of stone, that is not a divided heart, but is an undivided heart, and that you would give us a new spirit to do so. So, um, Lord... Let us love our neighbors well. Um, let us be the kind of people that um, can be gentle and humble in spirit while having a conviction and a love for you. And we pray that together and everybody said,
Amen.